Tonight I uh, continue our study of rewards, and uh, it's just my pleasure to inform you that you all get the faithful attendance reward tonight, so be glad. The criteria for the reward, what is the basis for reward? And the answer is, it's the motive of service will be evaluated, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from, from God. For our works to pass this judgment, not only will we have to have acted in the right manner, but we also will have had to acted out of the right desires and reasons. The reason we are not to judge others ahead of time is that we cannot know the motives that lie behind one's service to the Lord. However, the scripture even goes so far as to teach that we cannot even judge ourselves, for it is even hard for us to discern the motives of our own hearts. So I just take back what I said. Uh, I don't know if you're going to get a reward for a faithful attendance. Uh, It would be based on... Why are you here? If you came to give me a hard time, sorry. You lose, okay? If you came out of a love for God and a desire to hear for, for his word, that's a good motive. And uh, it's going to be the motives of our actions that are going to be the basis, it's not the only basis, but it's one of the bases, for a, discern, a, a judgment as to our receiving a reward. Now, two things I want to point out. First is that when we think about judging people, I think that we have a tendency to make that a negative idea. You know, that we're not to condemn other people. We are not to find fault with other people. I think we associate judgment with condemnation. Yes? This is more informal tonight. Okay, so you can say yes or no. When you think about judging others, do you think of that usually in the negative sense? Yes, okay, good, all right, we're on the same page. Well, in actuality, it's talking about making an appraisal of someone else's life. And we're to be guarded in making appraisals of other people's lives because we don't know what motivates them. All we can see is the external. We don't know why people do what they do. Negatively, we may question what motivates someone. Well, we don't know. We don't know why they have done what they have done, why they have said what they said. And then, even in a positive sense, we don't know why people do good things. And it's to keep us humble. Then the second thing, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 4.3, it's a small thing that I should be examined by you. Uh, Paul doesn't rest or take comfort or uh, thrive on people's praise and accolades. Nor is he devastated by other people's criticism and fault-finding. 
He says it's a small thing in his eyes to be judged by you. Oh, if we could only gain that perspective in life and not be devastated by people finding fault and not be overly uh, excited when we receive praise. Paul says that he doesn't even examine his own motives. Notice 1 Corinthians 4.3. But to me, it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. Why? For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. So Paul is saying, I, when I look at myself, I, I don't see any wrong motives here. But just because I don't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. And so Paul says, I don't even know what's going to happen when I stand before God's judgment. I also take solace in this. If you are anything like me, I am a very introspective kind of individual. Uh, I'm always questioning my motives. I'm always wondering, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Uh, I, I do that far, far too much. And Paul's statement is, well, we don't even know. We, we can't even examine those things. Uh, there's no way for us even to make those determinations. So I'd say to you, let it go. You know, and uh, not that we become apathetic and that we become insensitive to sin, but the reality is life is complex. And many times we have a number of motivations and reasons for, for what we do. God is going to sort all that out. But I'm telling you, it's the motivation it, which God is going to, to praise. Secondly, the conduct of service will be evaluated. Not only the motive, but the conduct. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Number one, as I said last week, sin in the believer's life will be addressed passively. It will not be addressed actively. In other words, there will be no punishment meted out for sin in the believer's life. But it certainly isn't going to be rewarded. So it's addressed passively. No reward for sin. But the issue will not only be between what is right and wrong, but what is more profitable and less profitable. The difference between the good and the better, and then between the better and the best. We're going to be evaluated for what we have done. Good, better, or best. As the Olympics go on, gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal. Uh, and in the analogy of the rewards, they are precious stones, right? Or um, gold, silver, or precious stones. Varying degrees of good, better, and best. Philippians 1.9. Uh, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. A. 
These verses are a prayer of the Apostle Paul that the Philippians might approve the things that are excellent, which means that Paul prays that they would seek to do not what is good and not even what is better, but what is best. They are to go for the gold. And so are we in our lives. Many times we are faced with choices. And we are to learn to approve what is of greatest value, of what is greatest worth. Uh, The limited amount of time that we have in life, what are we going to devote ourselves to? Well, we should offhandedly say, well, we don't want to be devoting ourselves to sinfulness. That's true. But once I've gotten that out of the way, but as a, as a Christian, as a believer, what is it that I should be doing? How should I be spending my time? What should my involvements be? And I would submit to you, that is going to depend on our giftedness. That is going to depend on God's uh, equipping us. Uh, it's going to be based on God's will. So in other words, what you are to be doing and what I am to be doing may be two quite different things. Even as it says in the book of Romans, he that has the gift of giving, let him give. He that has the gift of administration, let him administer. Whatever your gift is, that's what you ought to be spending your time doing. That's an area then where it's incredibly important that we don't judge each other. And think that, I am so busy doing this, why isn't anybody else doing this? Maybe it's not what somebody else is to be doing. Maybe they're to be doing something else. We aren't going to be evaluated against each other. As I said last week, we're going to be evaluated upon our own faithfulness, our own stewardship, in keeping with their own responsibility, okay? Uh, I don't think that you have the responsibility to study the Word of God like I have the responsibility to study the Word. I don't think I can expect you to study the Word of God like I study the Word of God. That's my gift. That's my responsibility. That's my function in the life of this church. Your gift, your ability, your function is something else. So as you make that determination between what is good and better and best, it isn't necessarily objectively that, you know, so that we make preaching the most important thing. No, that's wrong. If all were preachers, where would the hearers be? If if all were the eyes, were all the ears? So it's not based on what are the most valuable gifts. It's in my giftedness, what is the best use of my time? And then function within your giftedness because there's going to be loads of opportunities that avail you. If you prove to be faithful, if you prove to be a hard worker, believe me, people are going to be seeking your help. People are going to want your involvement. People are going to afford opportunities for you and you soon are going to have so many more opportunities than you have time to fulfill them. And so you're going to have to make choices. 
between the good, the better, and the best. And I'm just saying to you that one of the criteria for those choices is what are my gifts? What would God have me to do? How do I function within the body of Christ? B, the motivation is to be found in the day of judgment, to be sincere, that is without mixture, uh, and blameless, nothing for which they are worthy of rebuke on the day of judgment. C, the faithfulness of service will be evaluated. 1 Corinthians 4.1. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or reliable or faithful. Are we faithful? Number one, it is not the success of service that, we'll, that we will be evaluated for, it is the Lord who is responsible for the success. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So it doesn't matter if you are the one who plants or you are the one who waters. In this illustration, it's uh, people who come to faith. It doesn't matter if you're the one who has witnessed or you are the one who has reaped the uh, rewards and benefits of all the other people who have witnessed to this individual and they come to Christ. It doesn't matter. They are one. Each person playing their part. What matters is faithfulness in our part. Success doesn't matter. I'm not going to be evaluated on the size of church that I pastored. You understand that? I'm not going to be evaluated on the number of building programs that our church has had. It is in anything of that nature. The question will be, for each and every one of us, how faithful have we been with the gift that he has given to us? Have I sat on that gift, or have I used that gift? Have I sought to develop that gift? Have I sought to hone that gift? Have I sought to present it to the Lord in that way? So number two, an illustration of this type of evaluation would be not receiving an A in school for the amount of answers you got right on a test, but rather being graded on how long and diligently you studied for that test. That's going to be the evaluation. Not the success, but the faithfulness. Number two, the nature of the reward. First and foremost, the reward is a commendation of the Lord. It is a spoken approval upon our lives. Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of the master. First and foremost, it's God's spoken approval on our lives. To hear, well done. You have been faithful. Secondly, the rewards are pictured as crowns. 
1 Corinthians 9.25. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are an imperishable. Um, I uh, chose that translation because there it refers to it as a perishable wreath. King James calls it a crown. What is being referred to are actually the Olympic Games that we're in the midst of. And they would compete, and they would do it in order to receive not a medal, but the winner would receive a, a vine that was woven into the form of a, of a crown. Uh, a round wreath would be placed on the victor's head. And so they worked in order to try to get the victory, to have this wreath on their head. And the point of what Jesus is saying is people work really hard for things that aren't going to last. As you think about these Olympics and uh, as they look at people's lives, as they talk about the kinds of commitment that people make, people are going to unbelievable lengths in order to excel in their particular sport or discipline. Just think about the dedication that people manifest in order to be an Olympic athlete and then to be an Olympic athlete that gets the gold. And Jesus is simply saying they do it to receive a praise and an adoration that is short-lived. Many of us don't even know who the Olympic winners were 20 years ago in a particular field or or medal. Uh, They aren't in the limelight very long. And at best, it's only for the shortness of this life. But we are to give ourselves to that which lasts forever and ever. 2 Timothy 2.5, and also a man strives for mastery, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Um, so like the uh, Olympic athlete, we've got to play by the rules. 2 Timothy 4.8, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. First Peter 5.4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Revelation 2.10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Revelation 3.11, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. Revelation 4.10, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying. So these are in the form of crowns. C. The most tangible aspect of the reward will be reigning with Christ in a higher position during the millennial kingdom. So the reason I said, look at the, these are our, our crowns, is because it's consistent with the imagery that we are going to be reigning with Christ. Okay, so uh, we are going to be sub, uh, the, the word just uh, regents of the kingdom. We are going to be reigning with Christ and under Christ. And 
how we reign, our responsibilities are going to be contingent upon uh, our faithfulness into this life. For notice, number one, the Lord will reign. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Revelation eleven seventeen, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord, God, the Almighty, who art and wast, because thou hast taken thy great power and hast begun to reign. Revelation 19, 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Two, we will reign with him in the millennial kingdom. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Revelation 5, 10, And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now let me back up here. And uh, we've talked about amillennialism, we've talked about premillennialism and different positions and why is a millennial period necessary? And what practically is lost in not holding to a premillennial view? Here's one of them. Here's one of them. That is, our life is going to be rewarded in the period of the millennium. That's not now. And that's future. And it's clear in the text that it's not now. Because it's talking about people who are dead and come alive to reign with Christ. These aren't people reigning with Christ now. This isn't the present state. This isn't you and me reigning with Christ in some kind of ethereal way in the church. This is future. And it's a reward for this life. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Hey, note how often that suffering is associated with reigning with Christ. It is to be a motivation to guide us through and keep us strong in suffering. We are to look forward to, even as Jesus according to the book of Hebrews, who, as he anticipated the cross, he despised the shame. But he had an eye into what was coming next. He hated the shame that was associated with the cross, but he delighted in the approval that he was going to receive from the Father. So one of the things that should keep us going in this life is this motivation to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. B, here we find the most common reason people will not have built well upon that foundation, and that is an unwillingness to suffer. There's an old adage that's used in different ways, no pain, no gain. Well, the same is true in the Christian life. Without any exertion, without any hardship, without any difficulty, without any commitment, without taking up your cross, There's no well done. Uh, It requires our energy. It requires our all. Three, based upon the reward judgment 
we will reign in a greater or lesser position. In Matthew 25, 21, his master said to him, this is a parable, but it's a parable about the kingdom. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now, I didn't go through all the the, uh, different passages of scripture, but another reference is to cities. You will be over 10 cities or you'll be over one city. Uh, that reigning with Christ, that exalted position, is a product of faithfulness in this life that is rewarded. Number four, Jesus provides a parable concerning judgment. In this parable, the believer are slaves. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. He's talking about himself and how he is going to depart. And he is going to return. Luke 19, 13, And he called ten of his slaves, and gave them ten minas, and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. B, the citizens, that is, Jewish individuals who rejected Jesus, are non-believers who are not saved. Luke 19, 14. But his citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. He's talking to the Pharisees. And in this parable, he's saying, they're like these individuals who have a king who doesn't want them to reign over them. You see, we submit ourselves to Christ as our king. These fellows, these fellows are individuals who had non-combustible works And they were found to be faithful. That is verse 15 and following. And it came about that when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that his slaves, to whom he had given the money, be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. And he appeared saying, Master, your mina has made the first, uh, appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. He said unto him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities. Luke 19, 18. And the second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five manas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. And then... Here is a person who is saved yet as by fire, as it were, in the Corinthian passage. Note how in a very practical way he suffered loss. That comes out of last week. Remember that everything is burned up and he is saved but suffers loss. Another came saying, Master, behold your mina which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put the money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. And he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, master, he has 10 minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has shall more be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. 
Those that have been most faithful will be given even more responsibility. Those people that have been less uh, faithful will have less responsibilities, and those that have been proven to be totally unfaithful will have virtually no responsibility. They have proven themselves to be irresponsible. And again, this is not about success. It isn't that the one guy is shrewd and he's got real business acumen and he takes one minor and turns it into ten. He's talking about faithfulness. He's talking about his work ethic. He's talking about his stewardship. He's out there plugging away as opposed to the guy that just buries his in the ground and does nothing. And then uses as an excuse, Lord, I knew that you were a tough judge. And I was afraid. And so I've just kept it, and I've watched over it, and i protected it, and here's the one minor you gave me, and I give it back to you. And God is displeased. God is displeased. One out of many applications I think we can make for that is the person who has the audacity to say, oh, I could never be used of God. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And they view themselves as incredibly humble. There's nothing humble in that. God has given you ability. God has given you a gift. There is not one person here that can say, I can't do anything for God. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Don't bury your mind up. Don't sit on that lame excuse. God is not going to be pleased when you come back and say, oh, you know, you know, I just, I was afraid of making a mistake. I was afraid that maybe I would say something wrong, do something wrong, lead somebody astray. That's not going to fly. The question is, are you faithful with what God has given you the ability to do? So I would challenge you what are you consciously, with effort, committing yourself to in your service for God? And the key there is service for God. I'm not even saying in the life of the church. There are many different ways that you can serve the Lord. It doesn't have to be in the confines of the church program. But what are you doing with intentionality of maximizing the gift that God has given you in order to further the kingdom's work. How is God being glorified in your life? What are you purposely doing for him? And then eight, here's a person whose life is not built upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and would not have Christ reign over him. He is not saved, Luke 19, 27. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. So those people are going to be lost. Those people that refuse to have Christ reign over them. Those people that refuse to submit their lives to his authority. Those that want to reject his claims. 
they're lost. The rest have varying degrees of reward. Number three, the importance of a future reward. I gave my illustration last week, so I hope you were here for that. But A, one should not take too lightly the thought of appearing before the Lord in this judgment. The Apostle Paul found this judgment to be a highly motivating factor in his faithful service to God. For the verse that precedes 2 Corinthians 5.10 reads, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. To be approved of God. That's why we labor. That's why we work. B, one of the richest joys of the believer's experience will be to present a life of faithfulness to the Lord. Revelation 4.10, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy art thou, O Lord, and our God to receive glory and honor and power for thou didst create all things and because of thy will they existed and were created. When we are in the presence of God, we will understand in a way more fully than we can ever understand today how we were made with the purpose of honoring, glorifying, and serving God. Our joy will be commensurate with the degree that we understand that today, that we have been created for the honor and glory and service of God. And with that knowledge, we are actively seeking to honor and glorify him through our service. I gave you the illustration last week, last week of uh, my wife and I having decided not to extend, exchange Christmas presents And on Christmas Day, she appearing with a present, and I had none. I had nothing to give God. I had nothing to give her. The thought is, we don't want to be empty-handed in God's presence. When I say empty-handed, it's not just about a crown. It's about a life lived when we fully understand how he gave himself for us. Totally. To the point of dying for us. He gave himself for us. The one who created all things. How much are we giving him? Only one life to offer. Jesus my Lord and King. Only one tongue to praise thee. It's a great hymn that reminds us of what are we doing in uh, intentional way to serve God and to promote the kingdom. The point is, don't look around and don't compare yourself to somebody else and don't say, well, why aren't they doing it? All this other stuff, but it's about ourselves. What am I doing with the talent and the ability that God gave me? And don't wish that you had somebody else's gift. Don't wish that you had somebody else's talent. Don't compare yourself to what other people are doing. Ask yourself, what has God given me to do? And by all means, don't say, I can't do anything. Yes, some people are given 10 minus 
Some people are given five minus, but everybody's got at least one minor. What are we doing with that one? Or if God has really blessed us and we have, have a ton of ability, what are we doing with that five? And if we can really excel and things come easy to us, what are we doing with that 10 in order to honor and serve him? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Help us, O oh God, to be desirous of hearing from you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. May we humbly acknowledge tonight the worthiness of yourself that uh, we might dedicate our lives to serving you. Lord, help us to see that a part of that can even be in the way in which we do our work in the secular realm. It isn't that everything has to be done in a church setting or under a religious umbrella, but Lord, even as Ephesians teaches us that we are to work not as pleasing men, but as pleasing you, Lord, uh, help us to go to work tomorrow with a desire to be honest, to be people of integrity, to do an honest day's work, to do it well, not just try to get by. Do it with a, a spirit and an attitude that is thankful for the health and strength to do it that day, with a desire of being a witness, a testimony to others in the manner in which we live our lives. And, oh, Lord, help us at the end of the day to have lived a, a, a day that is worthy of hearing well done now, good and faithful servant. Help us to be faithful to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.